Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of our podcast called The Pulse, a podcast dedicated to examining the business side of healthcare. My name is Lori Cox, and on today's episode, I have my very good friend, Angie Clements, with me. Hello, Angie. Welcome to The Pulse. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so happy that we get to do this together. Um, Angie and I have been friends for a long time. Um, We were on the NAB together and uh, we've had some fun, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe too much fun. (laughs) (laughs) So both of us um, are pretty heavy in the audit field. So we wanted to talk today about the audit process because we get a lot of questions. I know I do and I know you do as well just about um, auditors trying to break into the field and where they get started. So um, I have my CPMA. Do you have yours? I do. That was probably one of the most difficult tests I took, but one of the best. I'm still very happy to have that credential. It's definitely a great credential to have behind your name. And um, I encourage everyone to um, get their CPMA if they're interested in auditing. Mm -hmm. I think it's a huge help. Um, But let's talk about the audit process itself. Um, So, okay, you're sitting down, you've got a doctor in front of you, or either, you know, you're either a vendor doing the audit, or you're on site, you've got a provider that needs audited. So where do you start when you begin an audit? So the first thing you really need to do is um, sometimes it it does it, it's a good job to run a report just to see where that provider's coding is lying as far as what E&M services they might be going at. Let's start with E&M first. Um, and what you really want to look for is, is, is he an outlier? Is she an outlier compared to others in her field? And the CMS publishes that um, information. Of course, it's not up to date current right. information because, um, you know, that's an ever evolving thing. But mm-hmm. you want to see if they're if they are at risk in a certain area. Because if they're billing a lot of fives and shouldn't be, you might want to focus more on their level fives to make sure their fives are Mm -hmm. supporting. Um, If they're just an outlier in every category, you're going to want to take a random sample that's consistent with what they're billing. So if they're billing a lot of threes and fours, um, you should have a majority of threes and fours that you're going to audit, but it's not to exclude any other level. You still want to include everything. Um, of course, if you have someone that's doing procedures, you're going to want to audit procedures as well to make sure their documentation is up to par. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times with new coders slash auditors that are coming into the auditing line of work, it's for, they forget the purpose of the audit. Mm-hmm. When you audit a physician, the purpose is, is to focus in on where are their risk areas especially, I know we're getting ready to get rid of the 95, 97 guidelines, but I can't tell you how many times when you audit someone and their coders there too, because they usually have their coders in to to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, but they documented this, which could be this. They try and stretch that documentation to make it meet what the doctor coded instead Mm -hmm. of identifying that risk area where if they get an external auditor who's strict, they may not get them credit for that. Absolutely. Because as we know, the insurance likes to keep the money (laughs) (laughs) or take it back later. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really to make sure you're identifying those risks. And when you meet with that doctor, you're not just going to point out everything they do wrong, um, you know, or only what they do wrong. 
find those opportunities that you can educate. Because a lot of times when we meet with physicians, that's the only time you're meeting with them for a full year. Mm-hmm. And you won't have their attention again. So that's mm-hmm. some of the things to keep in mind as well as you're, you're deciding on how you're going to audit or what you're going to audit. But also make sure you're keeping an open mind and you're not completely zoned in and focused that you miss those other opportunities as well. Yeah, I agree with that, especially um, if you've worked at a practice for a long time and you've audited those providers over and over, you kind of get in a groove of, you know, your (laughs) provider and you know what this means when he says this, but like us as external auditors, if we come in, uh, we're not going to agree with that. So I always like having that good point of view um, oversight from someone else, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. We know we got our scope and the scope is something that we talk a lot about too, right? Like how many charts are we going to audit? I, you know, we get that question so much. How many charts should I audit (laughs) for my doctor? How do you answer that? And then, and it's really, it's a different answer for everyone. So one of the things I like to remind is because a lot of times, you know, budgets come into play too. So it's kind of like, okay, just audit 10. Mm-hmm. But one thing I remember is I know the APC as well as the OIG really promotes the um, greater than 95%. They should have 95% or greater accuracy. Right. So if you audit 10 charts and one is incorrect, you're at 90%. So there's right. no way for them to pass unless they're <laughs> perfect. Right. Uh, so that's definitely something to consider. So if you have a 95% accuracy, you may want to have a minimum of 20. That way, if they get one wrong, they're at least at the 95%. Um, so each practice is going to be different. If it's just someone who maybe they do a really good job of documenting and coding at that level, and you're just doing their annual and they've passed it for the last five years, maybe 10 Mm -hmm. is okay. Mm -hmm. But then you have that doctor that, you know, struggles with it. Maybe you want to take a larger sampling and do 20 or 30, Mm -hmm. um, to have that broader. Now, the other thing is, is sometimes doing the, the heavier numbers, you're reading the same thing over and over because the providers are using a template. So typically you can find their areas of risk really quick because you know what the next chart's going to say when you go to read it because it's templated. And it's the only thing that changes is the presenting problem, some HPI elements and the plan for the patient. Right. Um, so that's the other thing to remember too. Sometimes it gets redundant if you do too many mm-hmm. uh, with EM coding or even with their op notes because a lot of their op notes are templated too. Yes. Uh, so that's, that's just one thing. That, and it's going to just vary from provider to provider. Right. And I like that um, idea 10 to 20, really. I think mm-hmm. 20 is a good number too, not only just for that accuracy, but think of all the changes. Like we're getting yes. ready to go into some major changes here. And I feel like if you're providing like maybe they're hospitalists, right? And they're mm-hmm. everything's changing for them. To me, you should definitely try to get 20 or, or maybe even more, you know, and it depends too on how many patients do they see, you know, if they're part-time, maybe you're only going to get 10. Um, but if they're a full-time physician that's on site every day, you know, you could have hundreds to choose from. So you kind of have to take that into consideration too, I think. Yeah. And the other thing too, is you got to kind of watch for what type of visits they're doing. So a doctor who practices by themselves, themselves, you know, you might be okay with 10, but then the the provider who's also a teaching physician and does split shared, maybe you do 10 of their own records, five split shared and five teaching to make sure that you're covering all of the necessary areas Mm -hmm. where they're providing work as well. 
So that's a good example as well. Um, what kind of charts are you going to audit? Is it a complete random selection or is there something you know that might be an issue such as telehealth? You know, maybe you're pulling those E&Ms with the modifier 95 or you're pulling their telephone services. So, and if you're only doing 10, I mean, you're, you're getting limited now because you might only get one 99213, one some telehealth, you know, um, I feel like, 10 is good. Again, like you said, if it's a very small practice and it's a provider that kind of does the same type of things, um, but you just don't get as good of a smattering of results, I guess is what I want to say, right? <laughs> if you don't get more. Right. Yeah. So 10, 10 to 20 is probably the magic number, depending just yeah. on what that provider does and the the case mix in it. Cause that's the other thing to consider what types of insurances are you going to audit? That's what I was just going to say, because, <laughs> um, you, well, we had an audit the other day I was doing, and a lot of the patients were self-pay and, you know, providers, they don't always focus so much on their self-pay patients. A lot of them are just written off to bad debt or whatever. Right. But, um, we have to look at guidelines. So Medicare, of course, we have some clients that'll just say to just do Medicare patients. Yep. Um, and then you have clients, well, we all know that Medicaid differs in every single state. So <laughs> trying to find those guidelines are a pain. Um, and then you've got, you know, Blue Cross and United Healthcare. So that's something to take into consideration too. Um, what your payer is, are you just going to focus on one payer? Are you going to get a whole bunch of different results? And then every payer wants different things. And then if they don't have a policy, does that payer follow Medicare requirements right. or do they follow AMA requirements or do right. they randomly have their own requirements that are not published? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. Well, Those it's a policy. Uh -huh. Where? <laughs> it's the secret policy that you can't see. <laughs> I feel like a lot of payers will do that sometimes on purpose, but um, yeah. okay. So uh, we have our, we know how many we're going to do. Um, we know what we're going to audit and we know our payer mix. So what's our next step? So I guess really it's just setting up our audit itself, right? So are we doing it in Excel? Are we using some type of software um, and then pulling the charts and then just getting it done, right? That's, yeah. that's the next step. Yeah, and then and then it depends too, because as an external auditor, you know, sometimes we have uh, different clients who have different requirements too. So if you are using a software program, is it calculating appropriately? Mm -hmm. Because some want to have just across the board everything's weighted the same. Some want their CPT codes weighted higher than their diagnosis codes, or they might be a heavy risk um, client, so they want their diagnosis weighed yeah. heavier than the other and. Uh, so that's the other thing you have to take into consideration, too, is if you are using a software, can you change your calculations? If you can't, do you have to switch and do an Excel? Um, and all of that kind of plays in the part, too, is, is knowing who your client is, whether it's internal or external and what they're what they want to see for that, how they're going to get uh, scored. Mm hmm. Well, and the other thing that I don't necessarily like about Excel is we know that it does not like our some of our ICD-10 codes or our CPT codes, right? Because it tries to change it. Um, like if you put an anesthesia code in 001, you know, something, it takes those zeros off and it looks funky. So you have to try to manipulate it into text instead of um, 
a number. Um, so Excel, we have to make sure we get all of that laid out properly, right? And um, and, and we want always, it to look good. And it's also not a fan of our abbreviations because if you ever try and type <laughs> an EHR, it changes it to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we need like somebody to design an Excel and Word software that is just for healthcare. <laughs> maybe oh, that is absolutely. out there somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> hey, um, yeah, maybe go into business there and get make some money. There. <laughs> yes, I like this. <laughs> um, so we are going to take a quick break here for just a couple of minutes, um, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, finishing the report and talking to our providers. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. How are you safeguarding against errors that put your organization at risk? At AAPC Services, we leverage our deep expertise in over 80 medical specialties. We create tailored solutions that drive accuracy, profitability, and peace of mind for healthcare organizations of every size. And when it comes to the accuracy you depend on, we leave nothing to chance. Your project will undergo our multi-tier quality review process, ensuring you meet your goals and we maintain our enterprise-wide 98% accuracy rate. Learn more at aapc.com business. Welcome back to The Pulse. Um, I'm Lori Cox, as I said earlier, and I'm here with my good friend, Angie, and we have been talking about the audit process, kind of the beginning to the end. And we've talked so far about how setting it up, some, some numbers to so the scope of the audit. And now we're going to kind of talk about the audit report itself. So the audit report is important because you don't want it to be too busy, right? We want it to be laid out nicely. And we know our doctors love bullet points. So if we can have a nice summary and an audit report, laid out. So what is what are some of the things you look for when you do an audit? Like, well, how do you lay out your report? So definitely when I when I do my report and I'm doing the different encounter lines, there's comments that we put with each encounter line. And we try and keep those brief on the encounter line and then have a section where we have overall findings, which is where you kind of have the more detailed information. Because you don't want them to look at a line and have to read this big old paragraph about it. Then right. look at the next line, read another. By the time that they do all that, you've lost them probably after the second one. Yeah. So that's an important thing. You want to have those points and they have to be meaningful to the provider. Um, so to say, oh, well, you need to have a comprehensive history on an initial hospital visit. A lot of doctors don't know what a comprehensive history means. Right. So you want to make sure that they are meaningful, that they're not over ex overly exaggerated and lengthy. And then you also want to make sure everything is professional. I've seen audit reports by new auditors and, you know, it'll say something like the physician needs to learn how to document and mm -hmm. just put yourself in his shoes, you know, right. or her if you were a physician and you were reading that comment, you would automatically be offended by it and yes. you'd be on the defensive. So you want to make sure everything is appropriate, you know? And so if the provider's not documenting as far as what it means from a coding perspective, state that documentation does not support the level of service based on the guidelines. Mm -hmm. Don't just say you need to learn how to do this right? <laughs> because they're like, I went to medical school. This note is medically appropriate and clinically appropriate for what I addressed. 
Uh, so that's an important thing to remember. And you want to make sure you're bridging that gap between what they do clinically and what they need to do from the business side. Um, because of course, they don't really care about the business side. They care about the patient side. Mm -hmm. And we have to educate them so that they understand why that side is also very important. Right. And I feel like I've said that a lot in the past few months, especially with all the changes that are coming and that we've had, is that the doctors, they went to school to treat patients. You know, yeah. they they want to treat the patients. We need to be there to support them and make sure that they're getting paid to treat those patients so that they can continue to do so, um, which is a good plug for us as certified coders and auditors, right? Because um, we can be like, you, you do your job and I'll do mine. And we certainly don't want to lead physicians on, you know, well, hey, if you say this, we could bump it up to a five, right? We don't want to do that. <laughs> so we have to draw a line at some point. Um, but I like your layout of the audit report, keeping your, you know, your key findings and recommendations there so they can see those. And then for those providers who really do, because we have some providers and they'll go in depth. They want to look at every single chart with us. Right. And then we have some that are like, just give me the overview. What do I need to know? <laughs> give me the bullet points. Cause I have to get to surgery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I got to go get my coffee before I go to this 30 hour <laughs> surgery. Right. Um, yeah, so it depends on the provider. And so that kind of leads us into the next part where we've got the report done. Um, now we need to present it to the physician. And we have clients that do these all different ways, and I'm sure you do too. Some of us want us to meet with the provider one-on-one, -on -one, and which we don't do a lot because of, you know, since COVID, everything is Zoom. But um, some of them just want to present the report to the provider and they can ask questions. Um, but we have to schedule times with providers and it's going to differ whether you're internal or external, right? Because if you're internal, you're probably going to go down and meet with the provider. Um, but external, you're probably scheduling a 15, 20 minute call Zoom meeting, right? Is that kind of how you do it? Yeah, I, I used to do a lot pre-COVID. I used to do a lot of on-site education locally, um, mm -hmm. but now it's ever since COVID and they're not wanting to bring extra people in. Most mm -hmm. of everything is done online now. Mm -hmm. Same with us. Um, thank goodness for Zoom, right? <laughs> Except for when you forget the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> So that becomes a kind of an important topic there too, because a lot of people like to use Zoom and kind of hide behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in my opinion, if you're going to meet with a physician, show your face, you know, right. put on a nice shirt. You know, I know the whole Zoom laughs, you know, pajama pants with a nice <laughs> fix your hair. Um, because they need to know that they are important enough that you're going to come off and put your camera on and speak mm -hmm. with them. They'll take you more seriously if they can see you and know that you're invested in what you're giving them too. I agree with that. And I turned my camera on, even if they don't, um, yep, I turned absolutely. mine on because you get a lot of feedback. And I recently just actually did a webinar on, on conversations with providers. I think it was, or it might've been Audicon. I can't remember. I do so many of them <laughs> these days. Um, but yeah, I'm on camera. I, I may have pajama pants on, but nobody can see those. Um, but you, you make a better presentation if you can see their face and react or they can see yours. I completely agree with that. And then when people tell me, well, I don't look good on camera. Well, 
do you know Zoom has filters, right? No. And you actually can look better on camera when using those Zoom filters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for some of us, it's like, I don't look good in person or on camera. So <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the provider conversation, that's my, my favorite part is I'm sure you know, uh, Jack and I even started doing a lot of webinars with the role playing on how to and how not to communicate with a physician. And we just love it. Uh Um, So of course, when you're presenting to providers, whether it's in person or in zoom, how you present it is so much more important than what you at. Well, I mean, what you're saying is important too, but um, I like to sympathize with doctors. Look, I know you got into practice to um, take care of patients and practice medicine and not deal with all of this red tape that but if you want to get paid for your services, you know, it has to be important as well. Um, so, you know, not going in and saying you did this wrong and you did that wrong and you need to do this. So you're, how you're presenting that information is very, very important um, to get that positive feedback. Now, of course, you might get one or two physicians that are just going to be um, very defensive, no matter how sweet you're all to them. Right. And, all that. and you just kind of have to smile and yes. remember that it's really not focused at you. Um, Cause that's what a lot of times it is. It's really focused at the process. Like who mm-hmm. is it to tell me I have to document 10 review of systems and the patient's 90 years old. Why is the family history right. Even right. by that point? You know, and I mm-hmm. got it. I get it. But these are the guidelines we have to follow. So I'm really excited that a lot of that's going me away. Too. Me too. Me <laughs> too. And so I'm excited. Super excited about the observation codes going away because that's a constant battle. Is there, are they inpatient? Are they observation? Right. They swapped over again. And uh, they were observation. Now they're admit, but they didn't meet the three mid two midnights. So now no. they're back. So I was like, oh. I completely agree. And I really wish they'd kind of gotten rid of that eight hour rule. You know, is it eight hours? If they're less than eight hours, you use these codes. And if it's more than eight hours, you use the same day, you know, the same day admit and discharge. I kind of wish they'd clean that up a little bit, but maybe next year. We can hope. (laughs) Maybe steps. (laughs) But I agree. I always empathize with the provider. And I say pretty much the same thing. I I thank them. First of all, thank you. I know you're busy. I'm not going to take up a lot of your time today. Um, I'm on their side. I'm trying to, you know, I'm, we're the good people here. Um, Now, if you work for a payer, they probably don't think you're the good person if you're taking their money away from them. But as external auditors and internal auditors, we should be saying, look, we want you to keep treating patients. So here's, you know, the key pieces that you, your documentation, you're billing a level five for all your patients, but they have a cold. (laughs) So that's not going to work. I I agree. And don't just focus on the bad too. Tell them what they do well. Give them some compliments. Um, I know sometimes you really have to dig for those compliments on on (laughs) some of them, but, you know, find something nice to say to them about what they do, you know, and and that's like, so like when I meet with OBGYN doctors, they've gotten so used to documenting on these templates, um, their, uh, what you call flow sheets, that they're, when patients are pregnant, that's very limited information. Mm-hmm. And um, just so those that may have a weird wonder why I'm talking about prenatal visits, um, there are some state Medicaid programs that don't pay the global services. They pay right. them every time they come in. Right. So while that's great for the Blue Cross patient, patient that you're going to get paid global on, if you're trying to bill a 99214 on a Medicaid patient and you just say patients, no complaints, doing well, 
it doesn't meet the E&M requirements for a 99214. Um, so when I get that OBGYN that has an actual full note, like a primary care physician would document or like an orthopedic would document, I'm like, you know, you have great documentation. You know, mm-hmm. I give them that compliment. It's so much more information. I can tell what's going on with the patient at this visit as opposed to the vitals, how many weeks they're pregnant and they're doing well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you find those things and you compliment them. Um, don't escalate the situation. If you do have a provider that is escalated, try and de-escalate as much as you can. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong if you get to the point where you have to say, look, you know, maybe we need to reschedule this meeting, mm-hmm. um, do some, uh, just review the results independently and, and, and try again. Um, and then also I know one of the biggest things is, is what if they ask me a question? I don't, and I don't know how to, yeah. answer. I know when I educate providers, I, I'll, I give them that opportunity while I'm there. Hey, while you have me here, are there any coding and documentation questions that you also have that we mm-hmm. didn't talk about? Um, and it's okay to say, you know, I'm not sure because that insurance has specific rules. Let me look into that and I'll shoot you an email with the information. There's nothing wrong with not knowing the answer. Don't make one up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree because I do the same thing and I feel bad because we always feel bad. We're like, oh my gosh, I don't know the answer. Sometimes, especially if it's been a very difficult conversation with the provider, you're a little on edge, you know, and maybe your brain's not able to focus, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, I do that too. I'm like, you know, um, I want to say the answer is this, but let me let me go back and do a little bit of research and make sure that I'm telling you correctly and then do it right. Don't just Absolutely. not follow up and be like, OK, um, he asked me, but he'll forget about it. So I'm not even going to answer him, you know, because <laughs> <Right. laughs> he might forget about it, but he might not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I might remember three months later. Hey, you remember when yeah. you used to tell me or you'll hear it at the next a year later when you educate him again. I asked you that uh-huh. last year and you didn't give me an answer. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So definitely following through. Um, So now we've given them the education. A lot of clients then will come to us and say, well, you know, if they failed their audit, then we need to do a re-audit and re-education, right? So is that kind of how you handle that as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, So educate first, and then we determine what's the best follow-up time. Right. Um, Don't wait too long, but don't do like the next day either. Right. Because it's fresh. You want um, that education to kind of sink in. So wait, like maybe a month or so, I think, as a lot of our clients do, or maybe they'll even go a couple months. It just depends on, you know, the scope of their audit and their compliance plan. Right. And it just depends, too, because you want to remember, you want to give the provider opportunity to make changes. Right. And some providers. So, you know, and I'm just I'm just going to throw a random software out there. Let's just say they use Epic. So they created their template two years ago. They are not going to remember how to go and update their template. (laughs) Some will, some don't remember. So they need time to schedule that time with an Epic person um, outside of when they're seeing patients to be able to update their template. So you want to give them an appropriate amount of time to make those necessary changes. I agree. um, Because otherwise you're just going to audit and you're going to find the same results. Um, And, and, you know, and, and, Regardless of what physicians think, we're not trying to find all of the things they do wrong. We're trying to make sure that 
they are compliant and that they will pass an audit if they're externally audited by the government or the insurance right. company. Um, so we, are, and I like to remind them that too. I am your friend. <laughs> I am the yes. friendly auditor. <laughs> and um, so that's the big thing too. And so for some providers, you may say, okay, we'll give them two weeks to make changes and then we're going to audit them again, or we're going to give them a month to make changes. So we'll audit them again in one month. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, even if they pass their audit, you still have to have that plan too. Um, How big is our practice? So do we have the manpower that we're going to audit our providers quarterly to make sure they maintain their accuracy rate? Or do we audit them yearly to make sure that they maintain their accuracy rate? So that's important too, that you're still going to follow up with those other providers Mm -hmm. because you need to make sure they're maintaining that rate. Absolutely. So then um, really, it's all about having a good compliance plan. And then, you know, because if you audit and re-audit and re-educate over and over and over with the same provider, they're not getting it. And at that point, I feel like a lot of our clients will have upper management, like a compliance officer or even CEO or CFO or whoever, somebody is going to step in and say, okay, um, either you're going to be on a hundred percent review and we're going to change all of your claims before they go out the door, or you're going to have to get in gear, right? So is that what kind of you see with your all's clients? Do you have clients that do the same thing? Yeah. So we, we have where they, when we have some clients where they'll have their compliance department step in, um, sometimes we may have a difficult provider, so they may step in right away. Mm -hmm. Um, and not wait till we have multiple problems. And and it just depends on the issues as well. Uh, Because sometimes you might have an issue where you bring it to the provider's attention and they just completely disagree with you. So at that point, you do have to kind of bring compliance in as the um, tiebreaker as well. I agree. And it's also good to have a physician champion. Like if you have a compliance, um, what do I want to say? Like a group, you know, a committee, Uh, Maybe you have a physician on that committee that is interested in coding and does care about that. And then they can kind of go talk to the doctor. Sometimes they just need that second um, voice, right? Telling them. I know a lot of the times when I go on site, I'll meet with the coders first and kind of get their opinion. And really, I just say the same thing. They just need to hear it from someone else. I love provider champions because it's an MD educating an MD Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, they're on the same level. So, and they understand on the same level because they're both clinical and they both want to get paid. So I find that that physician champions are amazing. Mm -hmm. Very important. Well, I think that is all the time that we have for today. Angie, thank you so much for joining me today on The Pulse. Really appreciate that. My pleasure. I appreciate you asking me. This was fun. Yeah, we'll have to do it again for sure. Absolutely. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of The Pulse. At AAPC Services, we help healthcare organizations like yours maximize efficiency, mitigate risk, and prevent revenue loss. Our credentialed experts provide services for insurance audit appeals, coding and billing accuracy, accounts receivable audits, corporate integrity audits, and much more. Find out how we can help your organization overcome challenges and meet its goals. Learn more at aapc.com business.